Hi, my name is Smriti Mundra, and I'm the director of The Romantics, now streaming on Netflix. And you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. My name is Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with talented and interesting individuals linked to the global Indian and South Asian community. It's informal and informative, adding insights to our evolving cultural expressions, where each person can proudly say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hi, everyone. On this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with filmmaker Smriti Mundra, whose latest work on Netflix is titled The Romantics. Stay tuned. Okay, so I admit it. I don't shy away from daydreaming. I say why not, especially when imagining goals and targets that are aspirational and full of inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, thank you so much for listening to this and for sharing it with your friends and family. If you've been enjoying these, thanks also for rating, downloading, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And for following Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing on social media at Dr. Abhaydarnika. So in celebrating individualism with an awe for the world around us and the fellow humans that occupy that world, I'll admit to romanticizing a lot. And I feel like it's quite human to apply a little more afterglow to time periods in our life or things that we're just frankly fond of. But I also love it when imagination can be captured through a very raw and realistic lens, beautifully examining themes and concepts to marry the romantic and the realist together. So it was truly wonderful to chat with director, producer, and filmmaker Smruti Mundra. Smruti is an Academy Award and Emmy Award-nominated talent who grew up in Los Angeles with a backdrop of movies and art, as her dad was a filmmaker and her parents showed Hindi films at a rented-out theater in Culver City called the Maralta. She spent her formative time in both India and the U.S. and started working with the Coen brothers and Spike Jones. Among her numerous credits are the film A Suitable Girl, Through Our Eyes, Shelter, and the Oscar-nominated St. Louis Superman. Smriti is also the creator and executive producer of the popular Emmy-nominated series Indian Matchmaking. Her work and style use the documentary as an observation deck to help audiences dissect deeper themes and cultural institutions. And her latest work, The Romantics, a documentary series available on Netflix, examines the Hindi movie experience as we've come to know it through an ode to Yash Chopra, the filmmaker and his entertainment conglomerate Yashraj Films. We caught up to chat about the romantics, about her approach, and about what it's all meant for her. And so to start, I was very curious to learn more about her own first Hindi movie watching experiences. Do you remember watching your first Hindi movie? Or, or, you know, maybe the first one that really kind of mattered to you emotionally. I think the first one that mattered to me emotionally, honestly, I mean, it wasn't the first one that I had seen, but the first one that really mattered to me emotionally, I would say, was DDLJ. Yeah. It was the first Hindi film that I, I felt like it was made for me, you know, and it was and my generation. Um, and particularly as an NRI, you know, it felt like it was made for, it more reflected my life and my upbringing and, you know, some of the uh, the conflict inherent, you know, to living between two worlds and two cultures. Um, I really saw a lot of myself reflected in that movie. And, you know, I was also like a, a young teenager, you know, right. when I saw it. So it was just, you know, it was, it, it just appealed to me on so many levels. 
when you were growing up and do you remember watching did you watch it alone did you watch it with your parents did you watch it with family do you remember what that experience was like I don't remember exactly. Um, I, it must have been all of the above because I've seen that movie so many times. Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it, I saw it in a theater. And then um, subsequently, uh, you know, watched it again and again and again. You know, back in that time, you know, we used to get the videos from the Indian grocery store and things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know I distinctly remember watching it with my cousins, you know, um, on yeah. VHS at some point. Yeah, probably India Sweets and Spices. That that's the rental magic um, yes. from the valley for sure. Um, exactly. Did you when you watched it in the theater? Yeah. Were you in India at that time? No, it was here in the U.S. Um, it was some theater in the valley, you know, that played Hindi films occasionally. Yeah. Um, so I saw it in the U.S. I didn't see it in India at the Maratha Mandir till, till much later. You know. Okay. Um, so probably in my twenties. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, for me, the first movie that I remember watching, probably on video, was Silsila. And, and just like, uh -huh. you know, knowing, I mean, at least like memorizing all those songs, um, for sure. And then, you know, the definite iconicism yeah. that, that sort of goes with that for sure. I, I'm curious in thinking about, yeah. you know, how all the different experiences that you then had with that as a backdrop, your parents for sure. And, and, and that great sort of lineage in, in that way, but then also, you know, watching Hindi movies and other, other movies for that matter, how did you gravitate perhaps when you became a professional, how'd you gravitate towards that more observational mm -hmm. style of filmmaking and documentary yeah. making as a sort of format for storytelling? You know, it, honestly, it started by necessity. You know, there was a time, you know, before streaming and before our current content boom, globalized content boom, where it was very difficult for someone like me to uh, get opportunities to direct, you know, um, as a director, it would, it's, a sad fact in our industry, you know, both in independent film and Hollywood, um, that directors are often not, you know, they have much harder, steeper climb, you know, to get funding for their projects, to be awarded, you know, jobs, directing jobs and things like that. There's just some sort of block that we still have as a society, you know, against being a woman in that director's seat in that leadership role. Sure. But I made a pact with myself when I graduated film school that I was going to direct a film immediately after film school. And yeah. I found documentary to be, um, have just easier, you know, fewer barriers to entry, you know, as a form, sure. you know, you need far fewer resources to get started. You know, you can sort of sustain for longer periods of time. Uh, you just don't need as much buy-in, you know, from other people to start making documentary. So that's what I did. And then very quickly, I really fell in love, you know, with that, form of, of storytelling yeah. and it just became from necessity it turned into passion yeah and by the time my first film came out my first documentary that I spent seven years making by the time it came out suddenly we were in a climate where nonfiction storytelling was booming you know um, at Netflix and at all these other streamers you know they were on the rise and nonfiction programming really started to boom in a way that we had never seen before so I got very fortunate. I was like right place, right time, yeah. you know, coming into this space. Um, though it wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. Was that a tough thing to grapple with in the sense that like, you know, when you were first imagining yourself as a filmmaker, that that perhaps wasn't necessarily the plan and, and, and you to kind of pivot in a way to what the needs and the gap were at that time. Was, was that a transition mm -hmm. that you were prepared for? 
Yeah, I don't think I ever like I don't think once I started, I didn't I never looked back, you know, and there was never any kind of pangs of regret, you know, because I just felt I just so immediately fell in love with documentary filmmaking and nonfiction filmmaking. It was so invigorating. I felt really truly autonomous, you know, like I didn't it's such a smaller, more intimate medium, you know, that I I could do what I wanted. I could, you know, create and I had so much freedom, you know, to create. Yeah. And that was really um it was a really amazing experience and I was enjoying it so much. And I felt so creatively invigorated in the process of doing that, that I, I really didn't give it a second thought, you know, in terms of the path not chosen, so to speak. Is there a sort of a different comfort with creating documentaries that you just, you just can't find perhaps when you're making fiction stories or or other kinds Mm -hmm. of storytelling? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it just, it's allows you, it's a medium that really allows you and encourages and necessitates. In fact, um, just engaging with the world, you know, around us and meeting interesting people. And every film, you know, it's like its own dissertation, you know, the amount of research that goes into it, access, yeah. you know, things like that. It's just a really creatively invigorating form, seeking things out, you know, finding stories, you know, compelling stories out in the real world, you know, yeah. and molding it, you know, uh, into a film. Are you the type of person that loves and kind of craves all the extra questions that get added to the storytelling that you're doing? Or is that, can, can that sometimes be, wait, I got to focus. I got to get back to, you know, what we're really trying to accomplish. <laughs> I mean, it's a good problem, you know, when you have a subject that leads you, you know, in many directions and, you know, there's lots of, you know, you find an abundance, you know, of ways to tell your story. That's, that's a great problem to have, yeah. though it does make it a challenge, you know, an edit to essentially then pick a, you know, like, focus you know on a vision and stick with it and see it through in the edit but that's what directing is you know it's taking um abundance you know and and filtering it down into a compelling narrative i was thinking of of your work and trying to even imagine what that beginning process must have been like with the romantics but i was reminded of when peter jackson was diving into the Beatles, that treasure trove of like footage and mm-hmm. and archives. And, and I'm wondering if you had a method of even organizing or prioritizing in telling this, this story about the Chopardas. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we were very clear, you know, my team and I from the very beginning, you know, that we didn't want to just do a highlight reel of the, the best, most iconic films and the stories behind those films. That was sort of the low hanging fruit, you know, of our story, of our narrative. We wanted to, it was always like the sort of phrase that we always use in the research process, you know, was how can we push the story, like to be, feel bigger, you know, like how can we push the story and, or dig deeper, I would say, you know, to find a bigger story than just the stories behind the movies kind of thing. And, you know, that really led us to look at the historical context, you know, um, at the time these films were being made and try to make connections that way. And then, you know, dive deeper into personal stories, you know, about the Chopras and, the studio and what that meant, what that symbolized, you know, in India at that time. And so we just kept sort of digging and trying to make those connections, you know, try to see patterns and themes emerge. Did you have to, in some ways, kind of, because you were trying not to make a highlight reel, because you wanted to make it authentic and and really kind of dive um, deeper, did you find that there were surprises along the way in the sense that like, wow, that was a completely unexpected twist? you know, that we didn't expect, perhaps, in preparing for this? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest surprises was um, in getting to know Aditya Chopra and really understanding how much intention and vision was behind what he built um, with Yashraj Films and how much, honestly, like, Yashraj Films, you know, 
can be sort of credited to him. You know, I mean, I think, sure. yes, Chopra is iconic as a filmmaker, you know, and he was much more prolific as a director, you know, than Aditya has been. But the idea for the studio and the vision for the studio um, and the manifestation of that vision was all Aditya's. And it was really remarkable to see that because I think you anticipate, you know, the son of a very, you know, respected and famous filmmaker is just going to fo follow in his father's footsteps, you know, but he didn't follow in his father's footsteps. He totally, he took a leap on the moon, you know, and did something completely so much bigger and, you know, um, and different than what his father did. And that was a really interesting aspect to discover. With both you and Aditya as children of filmmakers, was there some sort of shared empathy that helped kind of form a little bit more of a bond, perhaps, or even just made it easier to connect? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one thing, at least that I really connected in hearing him tell his story, was this idea of being aware of one's privileges and and that really driving you to like want to prove your value you know in the world and prove your and and you know you want to build upon you know all the gifts that you've been given as opposed to just coast along and I think you know we shared that drive you know obviously Aditya had very big shoes to fill you know in terms of his father but I really in when he was talking about that drive of wanting to take his dad's legacy, you know, to the next level, you know, um, both out of, out of respect for him, um, but also maybe in like some deep rooted way to, to want to prove that I'm not just here resting on my father's laurels, you know, I'm here to drive the legacy forward. Um, I really, I really appreciated that, you know, and that's definitely something that I've thought about and have felt. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to a conversation with filmmaker Smriti Mundra. Stay tuned. Conversation. It's the antidote to apathy and the catalyst for relationships. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians, so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, this is Madhuri Dixit, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abhay Dandekar. Hey, welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with filmmaker Smriti Mundra. I'm curious about one thing. What what do you perhaps have to unlearn about yourself or in general to make this movie? I think with every, you know, film, um, especially documentary, I think one of the great gifts of documentary filmmaking is it's a process of discovery and you're, the material you're working with, the subjects, you know, um, in terms of topics and the participants, their stories can really teach you as much as you can shape them. And I think like coming, you know, from a fiction background and having grown up and watched, you know, fictional films and all of that, where you're really creating a world, you know, and creating characters, I think um, really keeping like keeping myself open to the story guiding me, you know, 
is something that I really had to learn and hone, you know? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I always say one of the best moments for me, I've learned to recognize this. It used to terrify me. And now, you know, as I've like progressed in my career now, it's like I anticipate I wait for that moment right? where all of my assumptions, you know, about a subject or about when I start a project fall apart, you know, and something totally new emerges, you know, a new idea, a new narrative, de deeper understanding. And that's when I know like, okay, I've really tapped into something here. I'm not just sort of following my preconceived notions and biases, you know, yeah. I'm learning something. So that's that's a very thrilling mm -hmm. moment for me in, in any process. Is that typical for almost all the projects that you've been on where there comes a, a moment where you're like, ah, oh, there's an aha sort of eureka moment there where, yes, you have now not only just unlearned it, but you've forged your path to trying to have that sort of creative either inspiration mm -hmm. or that direction that sort of guides you. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. when it doesn't come, I start to worry, you know, <laughs> yeah. now at this point, you know, I wait for it. Then I start thinking and saying, what am I missing here? What am I not seeing? How, how come yeah. this is playing out exactly as I thought it would when I didn't know anything, you know? And uh, so, yeah, now it's definitely something that, you know, that happens that I notice happening regularly. There's kind of an intentional reason why I asked that question. And are even just like thinking about that is because, you know, as an audience, a lot of times, especially when you're watching a documentary or something that's much more real and non-fictional, that there is an element of unlearning mm -hmm. that you're trying to, in fact, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. dispel either myth or perception and find a new kind of lens on, mm -hmm. on something. And it, it sort of reminded me in some ways mm -hmm. of when when people think about Hindi films and in order for audience for Hindi films not to always be perceived as the sort of derivative of the Hollywood experience. Do, yeah. do audiences need to unlearn in that way what they know about Hollywood to truly kind of understand Hindi films at their core? And, and and is that part of the ongoing kind of story and evolution of what Hindi films um, need to perhaps capture for, for audiences that aren't so familiar or, or that are constantly thinking of it as a derivative? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that was one of my real motivations for making the series is to yeah. show that Hindi films are not just song and dance and weddings and color, or they're not facsimiles, you know, of Hollywood films. You know, storytelling, it's all about drawing inspiration, you know, from previous work. There's no new or original story, you know, yeah. we're always, whether we're drawing inspiration from literature or poetry or other films from other cultures, or sort of like the archetypes, you know, of story, heroes, myth, or what have you, you know, we're constantly grafting off of previously made works and I think obviously like there's instances where something is like oh this is clearly like a remake of this type right. of film or that type of film but yeah. most I think mostly it's you know Hindi cinema has its own cinematic language it has its own storytelling style it has its own set of priorities in terms of you know how it appeals and, and uh, touches an audience and that's what I really wanted to show that it's not just derivatives of Hollywood movies with some songs and dances thrown in, you know, that they, they were speaking, you know, to a zeitgeist, you know, and, and that there is a, a, a reason, you know, behind the madness in terms of the cinematic language. And that's, you know, that it was important for me to convey that. Yeah. I want to think a little bit about some of your previous work. I mean, um, Suitable Girl and St. Louis Superman and, and Through Our Eyes, they kind of include a spirit of intimacy and activism and empathy. Are there, I'm, I'm just curious if there are important sort of textures and building blocks that kind of show up here, even in the romantics, or, or form sort of almost direct solid lines mm -hmm. 
that connect it to kind of your your current work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, regardless whether my any particular film of mine, whether it falls on the more commercial side of the spectrum or, you know, the more um, I guess stringent, you know, verite documentary style, whatever the yeah. format is or whatever the tone is of my storytelling, I think what I'm always seeking is drawing a a deep emotional connection, you know, um, to the participants in my work helping an audience recognize like our shared sense of humanity, you know, fears, joys, you know, vulnerabilities, all of that. And I think no matter what the work is and including in the romantics, that was something that, you know, I really try to tap into, particularly with the story, with the family, you know, with yeah. Chopra, his wife, his two sons, you know, like try to really draw out those feelings, you know, of, of joy, of admiration, of failure, you know, of, distance you know of camaraderie all of that you know was was important to me to tap into and that's so, sort of a through line you know with all of my work is you know I like to just inherently I like to get to know people you know yeah. and I like to show people in their all of their dimensionality you know flaws and all and still emerge you know like in through my storytelling have those people emerge you know when the viewer sees those stories that they feel like they have really spent time with another human being whose perspective may be very different from their own and who may, maybe they would have previously judged, you know, um, but seeing their humanity and seeing those common connections. Me too, by the way. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I, I think, um, and, and by the way, in, the, in that same spirit, is there something relatively uh, autobiographical when it comes to the sort of thread um, in, mm -hmm. in connections for you? You know, I, not autobiographical, not auto, autobiographical per se, but I will say that this was, this is like the greatest legacy, you know, inheritance that I got from my father. Yeah. Um, my father was just a wonderfully warm, approachable, non-judgmental person. And he, I think that's what I really learned in observing him in, you know, in his work and also just how he moved through life. And I just saw how people related and responded to him, you know, because of that, sure. because of that openness. And so that's sort of how I approach my work, you know, and he always told me, he's like the only, he's like, there's one metric that applies to every single film, every work of art, no matter whether it's a painting or a book or a movie, if it's a comedy or a horror or, you know, a drama, whatever the genre, whatever the style, whatever the, you know, everything, the format, there's only one metric that matters, you know, in evaluating a film. And does it touch an audience? Does it, the person who's watching, does it touch their heart in some way? Does it move them emotionally in some way? And that's, that is the only lens through which I look at any of my work at this point. You know, the only lens that, you know, I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about pushing the envelope, you know, in terms of form or style or visuals. All I'm trying to do is connect with an audience. And I really got that from my dad, you know, and I saw him do that. Um, just in his interpersonal relationships with people. And I also saw him, you know, strive for that in his own work. So that's my North Star. I mean, that that's so elegantly put. And and given that was it perhaps not autobiographical, then was there an element of kind of need and catharsis then perhaps to, to doing a film like this? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, the, my dad was obsessed with movies and yeah. I was raised to be obsessed with movies, you know, like we would watch, 
everything and we watched films together and it was an industry that my dad hustled and worked really hard you know to gain access to it's something that I've worked really hard to gain access to and achieve a degree of success in and at the end of the day it's like we movies have shaped me in on every level you know not just you know like most people you know you're influenced by the movies you grew up watching but for me very literally you know like that this is my family business too you know so to be able to tell that story I think I tapped into a lot of you know my own um you know um thoughts about my own upbringing and you know um was able to connect with myself and you know in a way connect with my father too in telling the story by the way, it has to be it has to be mentioned. I mean, I'm I'm sure this is not a, a surprise or secret, but um, just the link of Maralta being your company's name is just so so wonderful. So you know, that's just a nice <laughs> touching piece there. Thank you. I, I, I'm also yeah. curious if there were any. You know, think about unexpected surprises, but were there any unexpected surprises about cultivating trust, particularly that you gleaned from some of the mm-hmm. actors or the stakeholders that you met with in in making this film? I mean, making those mm-hmm. connections and understanding sort of their backstories behind what went into some of the filmmaking. I'm curious whether you found any other sort of surprising nuggets, particularly when it came to building those relationships and cultivating that trust with some of those stakeholders. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think this is like one thing we have in common in that we have to put people at ease and earn their trust in a very short period of time. You know, and this is as a filmmaker, especially in documentaries, when I'm interviewing someone you know I have just those few minutes you know when we're setting up the cameras and the mics you know to really get people to trust me and open up to me except except you don't have someone behind you who's going to give them a vaccine in a second so yeah that's true I don't have to give them a shot or administer (laughs) I don't have to do that Um, I just have to get get them to you know pour their heart out to me there you go but you know I think that's something yeah I always I think it just comes in into just an attitude that you walk into those rooms with. And again, you know, this is something I learned from my dad, you know, he had this remarkable ability to get people, you know, to trust him and open up to him, you know, sure. in very, like just immediately. And, and I think it's because he just conveys, like he always conveyed and I always try to convey just like a sense of earnestness, you know, about what I do. Like, I'm not here to trick anybody. I'm not here to, I'm not here to make an expose or embarrass anybody right. or, you know, anything like that. I'm genuinely here because I'm interested in what you have to say. And, you know, I think you have something, you know, very relevant to contribute, you know, to this narrative. And I, I tell, you know, all of my participants, you know, interview participants to whatever degree they're interested, exactly what I'm doing. You know, yeah. this is the story that I'm telling. This is how I plan on telling it. This is the role I think that you could play, you know, in the telling of that story. These are the types of uh, memories I would love for you to tap into. This is like sort of what I would love to get out of this interview. I just put it all on the table, you know, sure. from the very beginning. And I think like one big advantage I had in in making the romantics and interviewing all of these big stars and everything is that one or two advantages big, you know, one is that they just, there was so much love and respect for Yash Chopra yeah. that, you know, people were came into it, you know, just with a very warm feeling of wanting to reminisce about somebody who had so deeply influenced their own life. But also, you know, I got to talk to these big stars who are used to doing interviews when they have a project to promote, you know, or, you know, when there's some sort of it's almost like a part of their job. And I got to just talk to them as fans of films and as historians in their own right. And I got to just talk to them, you know, not when they were trying to promote something or, you know, had some other agenda. Um, So it really, truly often, you know, really just felt like a conversation. I'm curious about one element of that. First off, were there were there particular 
noteworthy or people or luminaries that were like, wow, you really discovered that they were true students um, and they, they knew their history and they yeah. knew their kind of like backdrop with this. Yeah, I think, you know, the one that immediately jumps out at me was uh, Amitabh Bachchan. Yeah. Um, he just is a, I mean, he's, of course, his career, you know, has spanned so many decades at this point, you know, but he, and he is at a front row seat, you know, and has in fact been a part of, you know, so many big changes um, in the film industry. And then, you know, his films and his, you know, have impacted culture in so many ways. So he's just been part of the, um, part of this, you know, big evolution that we've seen in India yeah. over these last few years. But he also just, you know, has, he, he just has such an amazing ability to um, contextualize, you know, sure. uh, what, what Indian, you know, history in, in a way, like, and he just gave me such great perspective, you know, particularly in sort of the big cultural changes of the 90s and the 2000s, you know, um, as uh, globalization was setting in. And he just had incredible insights um, and, and expressed them so beautifully, you know, and sure. so so eloquently. So like for me and my position as a, as a filmmaker, that was really a dream. Almost like someone who has that kind of longitudinal and, and institutional memory and, and someone who can express that so well. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with filmmaker Smriti Mundra. Stay tuned. Every story told is a lesson learned, and every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lily Singh, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and let's rejoin our conversation now with filmmaker Smriti Mundra. I was curious whether there, you know, this there's so much that goes back to kind of love and um, love stories. And and are you know are there elements of love of the love story in Hindi films that are still successfully Indian, meaning that they have Indian identifiers, or is it almost inevitable yeah. that that genre um, or the making of a Hindi love story inevitably melds and blends into the kind of Western or global influence that that's all around it? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's like a lot of changes happening, you know, um, with now with every generation. But I will say the one thing that still seems true of Indian culture and therefore, you know, I think still continues to be reflected in the movies and especially the ways that romance is depicted in the movies is that love is not, you know, romantic love is not something that's separate, you know, from family or uh, society, you know, um, duty, all of these other concepts. Um, it's not like, you know, and I think in a lot of Western films, you see, when you see romantic love and stories about romantic love, you know, you, sometimes you don't even have a notion, you know, that these characters have a family or, right. you know, anything right. beyond that. And I don't think, you know, those elements are very separate, you know, in Indian life. Like, well, obviously you see it, you know, in 
in uh, sort of our marriage traditions, it's like a family affair, you know, and then the whole family gets involved. And it's, I think there's really a clear sense that a marriage impacts multiple generations. And so everybody kind of gets involved in that sense, you know, and I think we still see that, you know, a lot in Hindi films. It's not like two people, you know, off living their lives, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that, that doesn't that, that doesn't exist in, in Hindi films, you know, obviously, Hindi films are evolving and you know you see it but I just think generally speaking like this idea of, of romantic love is not it's not isolated you know from from all the other aspects that are important you know to our lives particularly family and tradition you know whether you're rejecting that or running away from that or re trying to reconcile with that or seeking the approval you know of, of those things like you're it's always involved in some way that, that those elements influence you know romantic love no totally and I mean it definitely has so many influences, but it sounds like from your experiences that it's inescapable to tie in the tradition and the family and all the backdrop with that as well. You know, from, from your vantage point, yeah. you know, thinking about some of your work, Indian matchmaking and the romantics are both presentations about very strong cultural sort of institutions that, that mean so much in, in sort of the kind of Indian and South Asian, you know, cultural zeitgeist, um, if you will. But they're told through your eyes, right? Through your eyes as a diaspora kid. In some ways, why do you think this was important? And, and maybe in a little bit different way, how do you think these stories would be different if they were perhaps told by a non-diasporic um, storyteller or creator? And for that matter, perhaps not even in English. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the advantages that I had in telling the story is that I can I'm both insider and outsider, you know, I, I feel Indian enough to be able to understand and shorthand, you know, some of these nuances, you know, um, and cultural context, but I'm outside enough that I'm always asking questions. And I think, I don't know, like, I mean, I, I don't, I would never presume to say that a non-Indian couldn't do this work and tell the story. In fact, sure. um, Rachel Dwyer wrote a biography of Yash Chopra, which is incredibly detailed and incredibly insightful, you know, um, and, uh, you know, clearly like, you know, she's not Indian. So, you know, that I think that there's there's it's it's more about whether you have enough cultural context to know what you don't know, right. you know, and to ask the right questions and understand the contours, you know, of the story you're trying to tell. And I think definitely like my um, diasporic identity, like gave me a lot of advantages, you know, in that regard where I'm not so inside that I'm like, I have bias or I'm blind, you know, to certain right. things, but I'm not so outside that I don't know the right questions to ask. It's not to say that somebody who's not Indian couldn't have done that. You know, it just requires that degree of basic cultural context and competency. If there was somebody who was perhaps... Indian themselves and a native Hindi speaker, you know, someone who grew up watching mm -hmm. films, you know, what perhaps would have been the difference? Not so much the, the difference. Obviously, there would have been artistic differences and whatnot. But what, why do you think perhaps that story would be different from the story that, that you were telling? And, and even still, when you were making this, did you ever feel that there was some yeah. kind of pushback to a diasporic kid perhaps telling the story? Yeah. Um, there was no pushback. And I, I, you know, I don't know, like, I think if, if there was somebody who was, you know, um, uh, Indian, native Indian in that sense, you know, raised in India, yeah. t telling the story, and if it was, this was all sort of done in Hindi, 
I think there might have been in some ways even more nuance, you know, to the storytelling, like even just language, you know, certain turns of phrase, like we always say this, you know, if you speak Hindi or if you, you know, there's like, there's certain phrases like you just, you can't translate, they're untranslatable, you know, from Hindi and maybe like some of that element would have creeped in, you know, to make the whole thing feel more intimate. Um, but I also think maybe there was an advantage to the people that I spoke with looking to me like an outsider. So they would take the time to define and explain things that maybe they wouldn't, you know, sure. to somebody um, who they viewed as a sort of Indian, you know, as, as a purely Indian as one of them. Maybe more, maybe more patience perhaps with the, with the questioning. Yeah. Yeah. More patience. And yeah. And sometimes it's helpful, right? Like when, when somebody is like, just breaks it down, breaks concepts down, you know, and, and explains them to you in their more simplest form, you know, like you learn something from that, right? Like in, in, in trying to define these things that, that alone, you know, reveals the way it's defined reveals something. So, you know, we didn't skip past any of that. You know, I asked everyone to define everything for me. What is a Hindi film? You know, like, and maybe if, if, if there was a more of a cultural familiarity that wouldn't have, we would have bypassed some of that stuff, but I'm sure something else would have been gained, you know, like right. if that was right. the yeah. case. Yeah. So. There's always a balance, um, yeah. you know, to all of that. One thing that I was curious about also is that film and cinema and storytelling, they're great, great unifiers, right? They normalize audiences um, and the folks who are who are watching and, and ingesting those stories. And, and for you as a storyteller, especially like thinking about the diversity of the work that you've been able to um, share, and particularly also in the disparities that are sometimes inherent in some of those audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about the uh, person who's in a cinema hall who's a uh, South Asian uh, diasporic person or even an, an in Native Indian who's the tech CEO and the cab driver or the you know person who's mm-hmm. uh, a parent or a caregiver at home. And when they watch that movie or cinema, that kind of links and binds them together. But when the movie's over, there's perhaps no more bridge other than the memory of what they just shared. And I'm curious, yeah. like for you, like yeah. how how does... How does your work as a filmmaker maybe accelerate more connections beyond the the craft or the art that you present? And if that's even possible? Yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily agree that that connection dissipates, you know, when those that tech CEO and that cab driver leaves the movie theater. Sure. Um, I think movies, I don't remember which filmmaker, some filmmakers said that movies are essentially, an, they're empathy machines, you know? Um, they, they, they condition you to empathize with people, you know, who you might never other, otherwise encounter in life, you know, or whose perspective you might not share, you know, that's like what the job of movies is. And I think, you know, when a tech CEO watches a beautiful film about a cab driver, they might go out and look at cab drivers differently, you know, right, right. they might look at people and that's just an example, but you just, you see people, you, you're just, your empathy for humanity expands, you know, I mean, that's, the most idealistic aspiration, you know, I would say of movies. Now, I think it's a double-edged sword because when you have an empathy machine, you also have, and and you have filmmakers and you have a system and industry, whatever it may be, forces, systemic forces that are, how do I say, um, determining which stories deserve that empathy, which stories deserve that context and that nuance and that deep look, then, then you're also kind of conditioning people of, you know, to telling them of who they can identify with and who they can't, you know? And so I think it's like a responsibility of filmmakers, you know, and, and 
systemically, I don't mean any individual filmmaker, but I mean systemically for, for film industries or entertainment, you know, to, to diversify the storytelling, you know, so we're not only ever empathizing with, you know, white male protagonists, you sure. know, or upper caste Indians or yeah. North Indian people like we need, you know, and that's where independent film is really valuable and really important and documentary as well, you know, is really important because it's usually independent film and documentaries that are pushing, you know, those boundaries of empathy, you know, that are finding stories, you know, that are, that you might, and, and bringing them to the world that we might not otherwise, you know, um, engage with. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, and, and maybe the structural or the power to make those structural changes prevents that dissipation from happening um, and accelerates the empathy like you're talking yeah. about. Um, you know, we started by chatting about you watching Hindi movies early on and some of your first sort of sort of memories mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know as a filmmaker, how much does nostalgia and perhaps romanticism steer or govern your work? Are, are you yourself a romantic? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I said before, like, by nature, I'm not cynical, you know, by nature, I approach my work with a lot of, uh, you know, earnestness. And I think nostalgia is like, goes hand in hand with that, you know, like, nostalgia is a powerful, powerful vein to tap into, you know, it's incredibly powerful. It, it's, it's joyous, and it's painful. And it, you know, it makes us seeing how far we've come makes us strive to do better and do more. And I, I really, I mean, it, honestly, it was the romantics that really showed me how powerful that was. Um, it was, it, this was the first project that I really explored so fully that theme. You know, it's, it was, it's been amazing and remarkable to see. I, I didn't expect, I, I anticipated that people would enjoy the series, you know, because it's movies, it's celebrities, you know, there's just a lot there for people to enjoy. I didn't anticipate how emotional it was going to make people. And that's been a real, you know, learning lesson for me is that um, it's a powerful emotion and, you know, we should utilize it, you know, as filmmakers in our work. Well, I'm sure that um, people are going to be highly nostalgic after seeing your work past, present and future. So, <laughs> Smriti, thank you so much for joining us. What a treat to have a conversation with you. And I hope we can have you join us again sometime down the road. Thank you so much, Habe. This was truly a wonderful interview. So thank you. Thanks again, Smriti. And you can check out the four-part romantic series on Netflix. And a quick shout out, if you're interested in a story about two women of color helping to uncover a conspiracy that threatens the survival of humanity, then please check out a new science fiction detective novel by my friend J.G. Nair called Invisible Sun, Solar Eclipse, available now on Apple Books. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandika. 